I love being an Anglican because it means that I have instructed readings that I'm supposed to preach from. I struggle with being Anglican because sometimes I want to preach from more than one at the same time. Um, I have preached on that gospel passage, so I know it's somewhere, uh, but, and I will preach on it again. But I'm not going to go there today. Instead, I really felt like uh, this time around, I was called to preach through the, the book of Philippians. And so today, we want to finish Philippians up. We want to take a look at, at what Paul is saying and kind of wrap this incredible letter. And I don't know about you, but chapter 4 is sort of the cream. It's sort of like the, uh, it's the top of the cupcake, right? The icing, you know, it's the, it's the best part. Uh, I, I don't personally, I've memorized parts of this, this chapter. Probably you have too. Uh, you know, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. My God shall supply all your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Be anxious for nothing but in all things by prayer and supplication. With thanksgiving, make your requests made known to God. We know these verses, but now we get to read them in the context of what Paul's saying to the dear church at Philippi, his friends in the faith. Let me just remind you about where we've been. Uh, it's, a, it's one of those books, my friend David Sanifer, a long time ago, Justin knows as well, and Jose and Adrian, uh, said a long time ago, you know, if you can kind of come up with a theme for a chapter of the Bible, it, it so helps you to sort of begin to let that word get in your mind. And so chapter one is all about to, to die as Christ, to die is gain, to live as Christ and to die is gain. There I go. And, and Paul is re- relating to the struggle that the Philippians are having, and he shares his own struggles, and that his joy is in Christ. And so, therefore, Christ, who is his joy, to, to die would mean actually to gain Christ and to be, but he wants to stay because he knows that they need him uh, in Philippi. And so, that's chapter one. Chapter two. Paul then reminds them of walking in humility, that they're to have this attitude in themselves, which is also in Christ Jesus, who, who emptied himself and took on the form of a servant and humbled himself even to the cross. And then God exalted him, raised him from the dead, and gave him the name above all names, that the name of Jesus every knee shall bow and tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. So, such amazing poetic language. It, it really does lend itself to memorization and Paul here is reminding them that they're to live a cruciform life after Jesus himself, who was willing to suffer the loss of everything. And so then, having said that, in chapter 3, Paul can't help himself, but he begins to talk about his own witness, his own gospel testimony, that he who was the Pharisee of the Pharisees, and was born of the tribe of Judah, was, was all the things he could brag on, all the things he could share in his resume. He says, I count them all as loss for the gain of knowing Christ and him crucified, to share in his sufferings that I might enter into his salvation and into the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so Paul says, this is the secret, Philippian brothers and sisters, to walk a cruciform life, to recognize your willingness to lay down your life. And as you do that, as you count those things that you would have counted as gain as loss and suffer for the Lord, you in fact become like Christ in your life. And the gospel takes on arms and legs and walks around in our lives. Now, I don't know about you, but I, I begin to think a little bit about this, and, and I was reminded of some people in my life who, who incarnated the gospel for me, made the gospel real in my lives. The first person that came to my mind was a guy named Hal Taylor. He's a now retired judge in Jacksonville, spiritual father for me. And Hal sort of was at the, the verge of sort of making it in his career, making some money, 
prestigious, becoming a judge, not only a lawyer, but a judge. And, and what did Hal do? He, he emptied himself he, and opened his doors and allowed a bunch of college students and young professional people come and hang out in his yard. And that's where I met Jody. And, and how every week, I think it was Tuesday night, we would come and we would hang around his house and he'd feed us. And rather than kind of kicking back after a day of, of being a judge in Jacksonville, he would pour himself out. I think about my friend Whitey Hogan, my first pastor. Well, not my first pastor, but my first Episcopal pastor. And how Whitey had the humility to recognize after sort of living as an Episcopal priest for about 10 years that he really didn't know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And so he humbled himself and he confessed Christ to a bunch of college and young adults and came to faith in Christ and then spent the rest of his life in the Episcopal church defending the scriptures, defending the gospel, despite the fact that he was persecuted constantly for it. I think about Brent McHugh, our missionary partner in, in Spain now, who, who was a successful Walgreens church planter, or store planter rather, and, and making it big in corporate America, working for Walgreens, which is an incredible company, and yet God called him, the gospel took root in his heart, and he left that career to go to Bible college and then to, to Turkey to plant churches among poor Iranian peoples. Think about Earl Sanderfer, a brilliant, probably the best preacher I've ever heard, who didn't take a prestigious job in the United States, but rather took his family to France and tried to replant the church of Jesus Christ in a country that was so post-Christian that there really are no noticeable results from it, except the fact that he poured out his life there and then left that work to come back to care for his wife, Annabelle, as her faith and as her health failed. I share all these stories because they are representatives of me of exactly what Paul's been saying in Philippians. They're they cruciformed lives. They're lives who, for Jesus Christ, they have sacrificed things. They've counted gain as loss, and they've picked up their cross and followed Jesus. Now, I, I know you've said, you just said four men. Well, I'm a man, so I've looked for men to be my examples. I have stories of women in my life as well, but those stories are too personal. I won't share them with you. But there are women in my life as well who've exemplified a Christ cruciform type life. They've been willing to suffer loss for the gain of Christ. Paul says, this, this is what you're pressing on towards, Philippians. Don't lose hope. Continue on. Move towards Christ and all things. He is worth it. Paul says, everything I've I would call it gain, I, it's, I'm glad to have counted as loss. I'd gladly give it up for the sake of knowing Christ, for the joy that's set before him. So Paul has been talking about this, all these things with this very special relationship with the church at Philippi. And, and you need to know that there is a unique relationship here. Paul planted this church. I said this a couple of weeks ago. Paul planted this church. He suffered with this church. This is the church where he, he gets jailed, you know, because he, he cast out a demon of the, the young woman that's, that's possessed of a demon, and, and he gets thrown into jail, and, the, and you know, sees the Philippian jailer come to faith and all this takes place. And so Paul, this, this congregation is so very, very dear to him. They have real struggles, real issues going on. There are op opponents without. They are divided. There are some fighting within. Paul actually starts chapter four by saying, tell these two women that I dearly love to, 
to quit fighting, <laughs> to, to be together in Christ. It's not a perfect church, but it's a church that Paul deeply loves and he's in deep relationship with. And as they face obstacles and opponents and difficulties, just as we face in our time, economic, social, medical, health concerns, all the things, Paul would speak his words from Philippians to us as well. What does he say? Verse 4, rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. And I remind you last week that, that Paul's joy, or a couple weeks ago, joy, Paul's joy is rooted in Christ. It's to know Christ. That is his joy. And so rejoice in the Lord. Continue to place your, your, the focus and the center of your joy in Christ alone. Let your gentleness be known to all. I like that version rather than your reasonableness. We can be reasonably ungentle. But I think a better translation there is let your gentleness be known to all. The Lord is near. That doesn't mean God's right behind you and if you're not nice, he's going to get you. It means that one day soon we will leave this, this earth, this temporal life, and we will stand before God and give account for our lives. The Lord is near. That's what Paul means by that. So let your gentleness be known to all, rejoicing in the Lord always. And he calls them to prayer. Lately, I've, I've found myself, you know, the preacher preaches to himself before he preaches to the congregation. And I, I, a few months ago, I found myself recognizing that I haven't brought enough things before the, the prayer team. We have an amazing prayer ministry here. And so I've begun to pray for things, put in, put in prayer requests for our curate we want to hire, a young pastor we want to bring in to teach and lead up, work with our youth and children and our youth and families. And, and, and we, want to, we want to see that happen. So I began to ask the prayer team to pray for that and to pray for, for this sermon and pray for the sermon that Father James will preach next week and, and just continuing to see that we need to be constantly called back to prayer. Paul says, be anxious in nothing. That's really what he says. In nothing be anxious in the Greek, if you want to know the exact words. And even as I read that, I was like, man, I'm anxious, Lord. I'll be honest with you, giving's down. You know, we, we've lost some families, some families have, because of, through COVID and whatnot, they're, they're pulled back from what they were giving or they've moved because of a situation that COVID presented to them. And, and so, you know, it's like, Lord, I'm anxious. I'm anxious about money. The Lord says, in nothing be anxious, but in all things by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, make your requests known to God. For Paul, thanksgiving is not just, Lord, thank you. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for what you did. Thanksgiving is also a recognition that we as creatures are constantly dependent upon him to meet our every need. You see, that's why, you know, I was reading through Ecclesiastes, and, and the, the problem with wealth is that we begin to think that we're okay and that we're, we're in control because we've got money in the bank. We've got retirement in the bank. We've, we're set. And, and yet, that's, that's such, I don't want to place my security in my bank account or my retirement. Lord knows, not in my 401k right now. My security is in the Lord. But Thanksgiving, I recognize that everything the Lord has given me is all a gift from him. And that I'm constantly in, in receiving graciously from him. 
Whatever I have, whatever happens tomorrow, everything that I have to this moment, I give thanks to the Lord for. Paul says, let, let thanksgiving seed and, and, and soak and, and saturate your prayer life so that as you come, you're making your requests known to the Lord, but you're also recognizing that you have so much to be thankful for. And if Lord, the Lord doesn't choose to answer a prayer, well, he's still a good God. He has still given us so much. And if he calls me to give up something and he doesn't allow this to happen, that becomes a way that I live out the gospel because I can die to that thing and live to him. And Paul says, the peace of Christ which passes all understanding will guard your hearts and minds. We, we say that in our liturgy. And, and I, I just, this, this sense that I want, I want to just kind of convey to you guys that, that as we pray for these things, God's peace transcends our human ability to have peace. People call me all the time, this is happening, this is going on. This. Have you prayed about it? Did you put it on the prayer chain? Can I pray with you now? Because there is something supernatural that happens when we bring our needs to the Lord in prayer. He may not directly or ever answer that prayer, but he will manifest a peace in our lives that will transcend our ability to have peace. Amen. We've been there, right? We've seen that. The Lord wants to do that. So as he, he writes to his dear friends, the Philippians, he tells them, he says, I want you to be people who, who remember that in, in the face of all that you have to be anxious about, in nothing be anxious, but by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, make your requests known to God. And the peace of God, which passes understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Paul then says something very interesting, and I can't spend a lot of time here because I want to get to the third part. But, but Paul, next thing, Paul then turns and he actually takes a, a group of, of, of words that represent Greco-Roman uh, sort of virt moral virtue. And he begins to sort of this, this litany of words. Whatever is true, right? Whatever is, uh, I'm actually in Matthew, so let me flip over here. What is pure, whatever is, you know, noble, whatever is, all these different words that Paul uses to describe these, these Greco-Roman virtues, Paul says, think on these things. And it's really interesting here, and again, I can't spend a lot of time on it, but, but just, to, just, to, just to say to you that, that Paul seems to be here turning to the culture, and he says, to, the, to these Philippians, look, look for ways that the gospel is being lived out in your culture. If there's something praiseworthy, honorable, just, pure, lovely, commendable, excellence, praiseworthy, of anything of the, any of these things, he, he says, think on these things. Put this in your mind. Look for opportunities. It's not a, your citizenship is in heaven, so forget the world and I'm just waiting for Jesus to come back. No, it's be engaged with the culture around you and look for ways where the, the gospel connects with the culture. And if it's honorable and truthful and et cetera, think on those things. But then Paul baptizes at the end. He says, what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things that the God of peace will be with you. So then Paul baptizes them and says, however, all those things, 
must come under the lordship of Christ. And they must all become cruciform. They must all be in that same vein of Jesus who humbled himself and took up his cross and followed him and calls us to be willing to sacrifice the loss of all things that we might know Christ and that he might be glorified in our lives. I admire a lot of things about those men I mentioned a little bit ago, but rather than exalting in them, I exalt in Jesus who loved them and redeemed them and called them to make such great sacrifices. Paul says, this is key. What you've seen in me. Now again, Paul's not saying, do what I do because I'm perfect. Paul's saying, do what I do because I've learned how to die to myself. And walk with Christ and let the gospel live out in me. And that's what Paul's saying that he wants them to, to, to emulate in him. Thirdly, I think I just want to kind of brawl this to a close. Paul talks about the, the spiritual friendship that he has with them. And, and this is maybe something that, that you didn't recognize before. Uh, Paul actually in these verses displays that there is a special friendship between he and the Philippians. It's a partnership in the good news of Jesus Christ, the gospel. And Paul exemplifies it. And he, he pretty much, it's, it's interesting, something we wouldn't do in our culture today, but he kind of calls out other Christians. He talks about the people of Thessalonica and says, you know, when I was in Thessalonica, it was you Philippians who supported my needs. Paul writes in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, up to when he's with the Corinthians, he's writing to the Corinthians, he says, you know, it was the people in Macedonia who, although they were under great stress and great poverty, resulted in great generosity towards me. I preached that last year. These Philippians are, if you will, those few, those people who in loving relationship with us meet the needs we have and the greatest point of, of need. These are his loyal supporters. As a pastor, I can tell you, I spend a lot of my time ministering to people who don't give any money to the church of servants of Christ or don't even maybe even attend services. Just the reality. I did a pre-marital, pre-premarital counseling session with a couple uh, that don't even live, at, you know, they live in the, the, the area, but they live in vastly different places. And, and yet I'm able to do that because of special friendships with some who's so into the ministry of this place and allow me to do that ministry. These are the kind of people that Paul's talking about. This is the Philippians. When he goes to Corinth, which is in Greece, when he goes to Thessalonica, which is another city in, in Macedonia, it is the Philippians who, who apparently, Paul says, are, are not well off who have been in this special relationship. Now, a friendship that's one-sided is, is, is not a friendship, right? You know, if you've got a friend that's always asking you for things and telling you, you know, but you can't reciprocate, that's not a friendship, right? That's, that, there's a relationship there, but it's, it's more of one of a counselor, counselee, or whatever. But, but there are, when friendships, there's recipro reciprocity. Is that the same? What I, that's the right word? Jose says it is, so I'll go with that. So, you know, there's, there's giving and taking. And Paul recognizes, Paul is given to the Philippians and they've received from him. But notice that's really interesting. Paul wants to be careful that he doesn't make it about the money. Can I tell you that a lot of times 
pastors and ministers and evangelists, we make it about the money. I love the fact that Paul won't make it about the money. He says, not that I, not that I need your money. I want you to know this. I, I want you to understand that, that I'm well content to have much and to have little. And actually, contentment was a, was a Stoic philosophy that you were to be content, meaning that you were to be, I am an island. If you know that old song by, you know, Simon and Garfunkel, I'm a rock, I'm an island, I don't need anybody. That's sort of Stoic philosophy. Paul's not talking about that kind of contentment. Paul's saying, I've learned to be content through Christ. Christ is my contentment. And therefore, I know what it's like to have much and to be in great want. And in all things, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I I can't tell you the number of times I've seen uh, Christian schools with the words, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me on the back of their sports jerseys. As if that's what the intent is, that I can do all things through Christ, right? I can win this volleyball game or this football game because Christ in me. That is not at all what Paul's saying. Paul's saying, I can walk this life, the times when I have dirt poor, I can trust in Christ. And the times when I am just bubbling over with resources, I won't be led astray by those things, but I will trust in Christ. That's the context of Philippians 4.13. Not that you can win the volleyball game, but that you can walk this cruciform life, Paul says. So that's why he wants to make it not about the money. But yet he's grateful for the money. He's thankful for the money, but he understands that it's always Christ who is glorified. And that's why I think Paul ends with this doxology. He, he, he breaks out in verse 20 at the end with this incredible, to our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Well, Paul is glorifying in the fact that these Philippians who are poor and under persecution yet have learned a genuine a, a generosity of giving in the midst of that. And that they have this special relationship. Paul is so thankful for them. But, but it's, it's that the gospel has been manifested in their lives. And in our lives. I rejoice in the spiritual friendships I have in ministry. The people who are partnering with me in the gospel. Paul says that, that these relationships are unique and they're not always there. Well, they weren't there in Corinth, at least not until Paul writes them a couple of letters and they, and they weren't there in Thessalonica, but they, but they were there in Philippi. And these people have entered into a f- spiritual friendship and, and a partnership in the gospel. And Paul says, in your very work, you are manifesting the gospel of Christ. In anxiousness, I want to turn to prayer. As I look around the culture and I find things that are noble and just, I want to be about those things if they bring glory to the gospel. I want to nurture friendships, spiritual friendships, friendships of reciprocity. I want to encourage us as a community in the face of all the uncertainty of the future. Paul's 
commendation to us to be anxious for nothing. That we might know through prayer with thanksgiving this peace of Christ that transcends all human understanding. And that we might move forward to make Christ known. The theme we haven't really talked about, but it's all over Philippians as well, is this glorifying of God through Jesus Christ. Paul's aim is that Christ would be glorified. Not that his name would be remembered, but that Christ would be glorified. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this incredible letter and, and, and insight to this very special relationship Paul has with these who are his ministry partners. These are who are his spiritual friends. We pray, Father, that you would continue just to nurture us in friendships like these. And Lord, that we would be strengthened as Paul strengthens Philippi. To the honor and glory of your name. Amen.